Hey, as we continue uh, to worship together this morning, um, we are continuing uh, with our series through Judges. As we do that, um, I'm sure you've seen, as we've worked our way through here, what the issue is in Judges, and and, um, it's been repeated, and I'm going to repeat it again, And, and if it sounds like I'm a broken record, that's by design, right? Because if nothing else, by the time we leave this series, um, at, at the end of next week, this is something that I desperately want you to have grasped, right? And, and this is what it is. You've got a group of people, in this case, it's the Israelites, who have decided that the best way for them to be happy is to do what seems right to them, right? That their way is the best way for them to be happy. And so what they've done is they've rejected what God puts on them slowly, a little bit at a time. They've compromised. They've gotten complacent. All to the point now where they have gone their own direction and they continually stumble and fall. Right? It's not a surprise but, but here's, here's the thing that I think I've told you time and time again. At least I hope I have. Um, I say it enough that in staff meetings, um, Malia can finish the sentence for me and, and uh, everybody else will chuckle like, ha yeah, we knew Matt was going to say that. But, but here's the reality. Um, for most of the world, Christians included, morality is a moving target. It's the way it was for Israel. See, for Israel, they had the God of the universe. Yahweh, the God that loved them, cared for them, provided for them, supported them, saved them, led them beautifully um, over the course of a generation into this promised land that he had given them. And here they are. And yet, because they started to feel like following God was overkill, surrendering completely to God was overkill, God's absolute authority started to shift. And when God's absolute authority is weakened, when we refuse to agree that God is in charge of everything and and that the God of Scripture is who He says He is, as soon as we start to compromise that, then, then what happens is morality becomes a moving target. And it's not what God says goes but it's what feels right to me and what I can make sense of in my head is what goes. And here's the problem. What feels right to me and what I can make sense of in my head is one thing, but you can also feel a certain way and make sense of things in your head. And so morality might not be the same for both of us. Once we start to weaken God's authority, morality becomes a moving target. And that's not just in our generation, that's in their generation. In fact, um, Proverbs tells us that we've looked at this verse how many times in the series? Hey, we're going to look at it one more time next week. But there's a path that before each person that seems right. But in the end, it leads to death. See, and here's the thing, right? The path that's before each person, it really does seem Right? See, it's not like, and this happens, right? There are some times in our lives when we know it's bad and we do it anyway, right? I mean, that's, you've been there before. You've struggled with that. Your kids live there, right? Sometimes 
I, when I was younger, lived there sometimes where I know it's not okay, but it's what I want. And so I engage in it anyway, knowing full well that it's wrong. But a lot of times, and here's what happens with spiritual confusion. A lot of times, I actually think that the way I'm going is right. At least for me. We start saying things like, um, my God doesn't care. You ever heard that one? My God doesn't care about this. And I, I found myself at one point in my life saying, like, usually it was when somebody would be like sitting next to me and they would say something sacrilegious and everybody else would be like, ooh, get away from them. And I'm like, nah, my God's got good aim. I don't have to get away from them, right? <laughs> Lightning bolt hit them. I'm fine, right? But we, Say this, this, my God, my God doesn't care about that. My God just wants us to love each other, right? My God doesn't care about those things. My God says this, my God says that. The problem with that, right, is because what I've done is I've weakened the, the authority of the God of the universe and I've started to make that God in my own image. And I've started to decide that there's a way that seems right to me and that's the way I'm gonna go. And the God that I've created he doesn't care. My God doesn't care about that. My God doesn't mind. And so what happens is we have a group of Christians or they have a group of Israelites that end up doing their own thing that seems right to them, feels like they're still honoring God, but they're going their own way. We have that, right? We have that in our culture. That's why, um, that's why we have Christians I don't know, let's just get let's just get into it. Um, and if this is you, listen. I want to be honest with you. I'm not mad at you. I'm not mad at you. But I am going to vehemently, strongly, from the Word of God, disagree with you. This is why we have Christians that will say abortion is fine because morality has become a moving target. Right? We would we would say things like, and, and this is something I've heard conversations I've had, discussions I've had, they'll say something like, well, listen, that child is going to grow up in poverty with parents that don't want them in abusive situations, and they're going to be hurt. And then we're going to have generational poverty and generational turmoil that's going to happen because of these things. And so how is it moral to force that child to be born into this? And so what they would say is that it's just as moral to allow abortion. My God won't mind because we're saving generational curses. I'm like, that's a moving target, right? Because God never says that, right? But there's a way that seems right to me, and I feel like that might be it. Same-sex relationships is one of those things. I'm like, well, love is love. And my God won't care about that, except the absolute authority of God in the Word of God says that's not acceptable. Sex outside of marriage, right? I had this conversation more than once, right? Well, well, that made sense for the Bible, right? Because the Bible was written a long time ago. People were getting married at 14. If you were having sex before 14, that's child abuse. But now we're not getting married until 20s and 30s. So as long as it's consensual, who cares? Morality becomes a moving target, no-fault divorce. Well, God wants me to be happy. 
God wants my spouse to be happy. This isn't working for us. God doesn't want us to be miserable. That's not good for our kids. That's not good for the church. That doesn't paint God in a great picture. So let's just move on. And, and we, we do it all in the name of Jesus, right? We do it all in the name of this God that we say we, we love and we claim to follow because we've moved him off the total authority and now this morality feels like it's a moving target. And I can do what I want as long as I can understand it in a way that doesn't dismiss God. Morality is a, is a moving target when God is not in control and in charge of all things and we haven't given him full authority. And... and that's not new, right? That's always been the case. And we're going to see that, how it plays out um, as we look at a story in the book of Judges. So you can open up your Bibles to Judges 17, and we're going to read a very weird, weird story. And I just am realizing that today's Super Bowl Sunday, and I didn't even mention it. I know. Uh, but then I looked over here, and I see you're wearing your, 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 your Rams gear, but you're from California, so it's okay. Right? So, so, I mean, I think we all clearly know that if you're going to jump on a bandwagon, it's the Bengals. Um, but if you're from California, we can let that slide. Um, in my mind, Justin Fields, all day long. Um, but only in my mind, because never in reality. Anyway, Judges 17. Because here's what's going to happen to them. And, and if we're not careful, we're going to find ourselves in this weird place too. It's the weird place where we feel good and right about our faith without ever realizing that we're further and further away from living the Christian life. See, this is what's happened in our culture. It's what happens to them, right? Israel, they get further and further away from honoring the God that brought them into the land, but they still feel like they're doing it right. They're, I mean, they are going to worship Baal and Asherah and still calling themselves God's chosen people. We have a culture where a lot of people identify as Christians. We're Christians, right? But yet the way we live doesn't seem to match up because we can feel good about what we're doing because it's right in our own eyes, but it's further and further away from living a godly life. So let's see how this lays out in, in Judges 17. Uh, side note, Samson, the story of Samson finishes in Judges 16, and that's the last judge. So at the end of Judges 16, that's when the chronology, the chronological order stops, right? Up until then, it's been chronologically happening where we see the defiance, we see the oppression, we see the deliverance, and the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. Samson is the last judge, it's actually an interesting note if you ever want to go back and, and think about it, but you'll see the, the steady decay of the quality of the judges, right? The first judges are wholly devoted to God, and God calls them, and they deliver the nation. But a little bit at a time, starting with Gideon, it seems like, and we continue a little bit at a time, we see the decay in the quality of judges, right? This nation, even those who are trying to follow God, are falling deeper and deeper into distress. And then after Samson, what we have from verses 17 to 21 is kind of like an appendix. This is kind of like some supporting evidence that the author is giving us about why it was so bad. 
when he kept saying everybody did what was right in their own eyes. What exactly does that mean? So we have two stories that are going to tell us, actually three, but they're connected, that are going to tell us what does it mean that everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes? What is this weird place where we think we're following God, but we're really so far away from him? And this is what we get to. There was a man named Micah who lived in the hill country of Ephraim. One day he said to his mother, I heard you placed a curse on the person who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from you. Well, I have the money. I was the one who took it. Mom's response, the Lord bless you for telling me the truth. Like, let's forget about the fact that you stole it, but the Lord bless you for admitting it, right? Now, this is a grown man here. We're not talking about like a six-year-old that was like, ooh, shiny, I want it. This is a grown man with grown children who stole 1,100 pieces of silver from his, his mama. And she's so mad about it, and I would be too, that she calls down curses from God on the person that took it, right? God, get that person, get their children, damn them. And so the son is like, whoa, I don't want God to get me. I don't want God to get my children. So this is a perfect example of last week. He doesn't repent but he very much regrets what happened. So he goes, to, he goes to grandma and he says, Grandma, Mama, here's what happened. I stole from you. And she's like, oh, all is forgiven. Good for you for telling me the truth. That a boy. And instead, I'm going to counteract the curse and I'm going to give you a blessing instead. No longer, God, don't curse him anymore. But he told me the truth. So now bless him for admitting it. Now, sometimes we struggle when we read the Old Testament because you read things and in your mind you're thinking, that's terrible. That makes zero sense. But the author just gives it to us. So there are many times where we are left believing that the author is okay with, right? And the author really is the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're left believing that God's okay with what happens because it's just listed as matter of fact. Like, oh, David killed that dude and took his wife for his own. Matter of fact. David was like, I think I want you to be my sixth concubine, right? So come on into my harem. It'll be awesome. And it's just there as a matter of fact. And so we're left wondering, is God really okay with this? The reality is, no, God's not okay with these things. What we have recorded for us is what happened. It's, it's the unabridged version. It's not cleaned up. It's just the reality of what happened. But I can tell you that when the people of Israel would have read these words, from the book of Judges, they would have very clearly understood that this is not a family, right, that we want to emulate. It starts with the stealing and the dishonoring of mom and, 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 and her flippant, taking the Lord's name in vain, bringing curses and blessings that she has no right to bring. And we continue, right? So he returns the money to mom and, he, and here's what she says. Because you return the money, I now am going to dedicate these silver coins to the Lord, you're like, well, that's not bad. She's dedicating stuff to the Lord. And here's how she's going to do it. I will have an image, an idol carved in honor of you telling the truth and returning the money. And that's just stated as a matter of fact. You're like, oh, well, God must be okay with idols. Except wait, I remember reading in the commandments that that's bad. 
So when he returned the money to his mother, she took 200 silver coins, gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image, an idol, and these were placed in Micah's house. So here, right off the bat, here's what I want you to see. And, and the original audience of this letter would have had no problem figuring this out. Without even leaving their home, this family has broken six out of ten commandments. Right? They're worshiping a God that's not God. It's a statue made of silver. They've made for themselves an idol. We're going to read in the next verse that, that Micah actually sets up a shrine in his home. They're misusing the name of the Lord. He certainly is not honoring his mother and father. He's stolen. He's coveted her silver. Right? Without even leaving the home, they have managed to break six out of ten commandments. And yet they don't feel in the least little bit guilty before the Lord. In fact, they think they're honoring God with their behavior. See, and this is the weird catch that we get in. When a culture starts to slip far away from God, when we take God out of the absolute moral authority position, then what happens is we start to slip further and further away. We do worse and worse things where we push God away, where we blaspheme against God, where we go against his will, and yet we still can go to bed at night feeling like we're doing it right. We still go to bed at night feeling good about our relationship with God, when we have no business to feel good about our relationship with God. Right? And it gets worse. So Micah set up the shrine for the idol and he made a sacred ephod. You can't make sacred ephods. Right? Those are things that the priests wear. You can't just decide. Hey, I know. I'm just going to make a sacred ephod. Micah, why are you going to do that? What are you going to do with that thing? I'm going to install my own son as my personal priest. What? Micah, I remember reading in the books of law that only Aaron's sons could be priests. And that anybody else that was going to be a priest was actually supposed to be executed. That only those that God calls to be priests could serve as priests. Everybody else that tries to act as a priest is supposed to be executed. I remember reading, right, that King Saul was rejected by God because he decided to act like the priest because the priest didn't get there when he wanted the priest to get there. And he offered the sacrifices instead. And God said, I'm done with you. Away from me. I wish I'd never made you king. But Micah, he's like, you know what? Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make a sacred ephod. I'm going to take this idol that I have with my other household idols. I'm going to set up a shrine in my house. And I'm going to let my boy, my oldest boy, he's going to be my personal priest. Then God will bless me for sure because I have a priest. Right? Because you're going to get sick of hearing me say it, right? But when God is not the absolute authority, morality starts to be a moving target. And I think, well, this is pretty good. I'm honoring God with my behavior. It's like the equivalent of, I may do whatever I want, man, but I got the plaque on my wall that says, prayer changes things. I can do whatever I want, but we'll say grace before we eat dinner. 
right? I have honored and worshiped God in no way, shape, or form in my life for the past week, but I showed up at church on Sunday, so God must be pleased with me. So here's, here's the reality. Um, because Micah and his family didn't submit to God's word, their home was a place of religious and moral confusion where everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's just the way it went. I mean, that, that's how this ends, right? Look, look at here. In those days, Israel had no king. All the people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And so because Micah and his family didn't submit to God's word, they didn't accept God's authority there was religious and moral confusion. And here's what they did. They did whatever they wanted because it felt right to them. And they said, our God doesn't care. And so I'm curious, you know, as we, as we kind of go through this a little bit, how many of you, please don't raise your hand or raise your hand. I don't know, whatever. I mean, just know if you raise your hand right now, the elders are going to get you. By get you, I mean they're going to come and hug you and pray for you. They're ready. But how many of you relate to this in your own lives and in your families? I mean, I do. Right? Even though I'm smart enough to know that, that God, is, God is the authority over all things, everything. Right? I'm guilty of a little compromise here and there. <laughs> Right? Remember what we said? When, when things are going well, following God with your whole heart feels a little bit like overkill. My God won't mind. So we start to compromise a little bit here and there. My God won't care. It feels right. And I'm still doing enough so I feel like I can still call myself a Christian and I can still feel like God's honored by what I'm doing even though clearly I'm acting in ways that are pushing him further and further away. We have a whole culture full of people who are claiming the name of Christ as Christians that are living this kind of way. And it's not unique to them. Israel did it too. In fact, Israel did it so often that every time what would happen is God would send a prophet. God would send a prophet who would tell the people to repent, turn from their ways, and come back to fully honoring God with the way they lived. And you know what people did to the prophet that said, I know you think you're doing right, but you're not really doing right. You're not submitting to God and his authority. So you need to repent from that and do it different. You know what they did to those prophets? They killed them. And they felt justified doing it. You know what we do to those prophets? Those people that will say, no, 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 we need to follow God and his authority clearly. You know what we do? We marginalize them. We don't kill them. We call them Bible thumpers. We call them zealots and religious fanatics. We say they're not balanced enough. And then we say things like this. They push more people away than they, than they draw in. Right? Why do we marginalize them? Because we think we know what's right. It feels right to us, and so that's what we want to do. And anytime, anytime we start to have this cultural slippage away from God as the sole authority, and there's moral and there's religious ambiguity, somebody is not doing their job. And clearly, in this instance, not doing their job are the priests and the Levites. Right? So it's not just that the people are wandering away, it's that the religious authorities aren't doing what they're supposed to do. Here, so one day a young Levite who'd been living in Bethlehem and Judah, first of all, 
That's not where he was supposed to be living. There's no reason that the young Levite should be living in Bethlehem. Right? There's no reason that he should be living in Bethlehem. That's not one of the Levitical cities that God has established for the Levites to live in. So he shouldn't have been there in the first place, but that's where he was for some reason not following God's ways. And he just left and he arrived in that area and he'd left Bethlehem in search of another place to live. And as he traveled, right, and, and if you do this, right, like the, the grass is greener over there, I'm going to go over there. And as he traveled, he came to the hill country of Ephraim. He happened to stop at Micah's house as he was traveling through. Where are you from? Micah asked. He replied, I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, and I'm looking for a place to live. Right? I mean, God's established Levitical cities for me to live in, but I don't want to live there. I just want to do my own thing. So Micah says, well, stay here with me. I can be, uh, you can be a father and a priest to me. I'll give you 10 pieces of silver a year, plus a change of clothes and your food. The Levite agreed to this, and the young man became like one of Micah's sons. So Micah installed the Levite as his personal priest, and he lived in Micah's house. Now, there's a couple of things that we have to deal with here. One is, I mean, imagine you're the kid that Micah put in charge of this stuff. And all of a sudden, you're getting fired by your own dad. Like, because I got a better option, right? You were just my son, but now I've got a Levite. He can serve as my priest. And here's the deal. Levites aren't priests. Priests are from the family of Aaron. They're from the line of Aaron. Levites are from the tribe of Levi. Their job is to assist the priests and to teach the law. This Levite's not doing his job. If he was teaching the law, he'd walk into this house and he'd say, no, sir, you aren't supposed to have a shrine. You aren't supposed to have idols. If you cast idols, you're supposed to be stoned and put to death because you're worshiping something other than God. I can't serve as your priest. I need to stop and I need to teach you the law. You need to repent. You need to tear down this shrine. You need to travel to Jerusalem. to to Judah at the time, and and you need to worship at the tabernacle. You need to walk away from all this. But the Levite doesn't do that. He's like, cool, finally, things are about to get comfortable for me. And you know what? We have that today. If the Levite was doing his job, he would be correcting and chastising and rebuking Micah, his family, and their behavior. But they're paying him. And and he'd like the money to keep coming. They're going to feed him. Turns out, religious leaders like to eat. (laughs) We're fans of it. We like it when we get paid. That's cool. And I mean, I guess if you want to give me a change of clothes, I won't argue. Seems out of place. I can buy my own. But we get this, here, here's what happens, right? He is, he is so focused on the gig and him working for Micah that he forgot that, no, 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 you work for God and you answer to God. And, and we've got churches with spiritual leaders and advisors that are so afraid of the people. They're so afraid of the people leaving, the people getting upset the people not showing up, that they'll start to compromise the truth that they tell. They'll start to say that things are okay that God never said was okay. They'll start to try to make it all right. 
right? We've got whole denominations that have gone that direction. Why? For this reason, right? They're afraid. They're, they're afraid of being a man of God without having people following. But the real prophets, all through the Old Testament, Jesus and the disciples and the, and, and the early church, th- those, those real prophets that were following God, all they did was tell the truth. And God either had people respond or people rejected. But they were successful when they just told the truth. But there is religious and, and, and moral confusion that's happening with the Israelites, and it happens in our culture too. And it ends with this, right? This is what Micah says now that he's installed his own Levitical priest. I know the Lord will bless me now, Micah said, because I have a Levite serving as my priest. So here's what he's saying with full confidence. I know God will bless me because I said godly things, even though I'm not doing godly things. Right? Even though I'm clearly blaspheming God, even though I'm not doing what God has actually said to do, even though I'm doing things that following the letter of the law would have me stoned to death, I know God will bless me because I've done some things in his name and I've invoked his name when I do whatever feels right. That's the story of the judges is the slow compromise. Following God feels like overkill. So I start to compromise, right? I start to move God off of the center. And as I do that, I can still claim God. I can still do things in God's name. I can still be a good Israelite. I can still say I'm one of God's chosen people. But then I start to do things that just don't add up. And eventually I find myself in a place where I am completely destitute. We're going to actually see how that gets even worse next week. This is, this is bad, but we're going to see where this leads next week. And I'll warn you, it's graphic, right? There's concubines, there's nastiness, there's chopping up body parts, there's stuff. We'll get to it next week, right? But it's what happens, right? And guess what? When we're chopping up body parts and we're sending them all over the nation, we're doing it in the name of God, thinking that we're all good because we're still God's chosen people. Yet further and further away from a moral center because we've rejected God as our authority. This is a dangerous game to play and we can't do it. And it happens in our culture all the time. So what do we do about it? Um, Here's what we do about it. We have to get back to center. It's what they have to do, right? It's why God sends prophets. They have to get back to center. And we try to get back to center. Here's what I want you to know. Listen, Christian, there is only one way to get back to center. And it's not listening to me. And it's not finding your favorite pastor on YouTube, right? It's not listening to a new podcast. It's not reading the latest self-help book. It's not washing your face and it's not stopping to apologize or any of those things. Listen, there is one way and that is for you to get back into God's word. There is only one way 
for you to get back to center, for you to get back to this place where you've put God in the proper position. Because as soon as you move God out of the proper position, all of a sudden, a lot of things make sense, right? I can convince myself of a lot of things as soon as God is off center. And, and I mean, as a culture, we're really good at that. So you want to get back, you have to put God back in the proper position. There is only one way to put God in the proper position, and that is to know what the Bible says and to make it your sole authority. So, so it's this, what if, what if, what if I knew what the Bible said and what if I took it seriously? What if I knew what the Bible said and what if I took it seriously? Those are, you want to move back to center. I'm going to give you three things you can try, but it has to start with this, right? It has to start with this idea of, of what does God say? Remember, the Bible is not a book about God. The Bible is God's words to us. It's not about God. It is God, right? What does John 1 tell us? That, that Jesus is the word, right? The word become flesh, Right? That it's inspired and breathed out by the Holy Spirit. These are God's words for us. This is God. And when we read it and comprehend it and deal with it, we're breathing it in. Right? We have got to start to understand what the Bible says. And we cannot compromise just because we don't like it. We cannot compromise because in our culture it feels like overkill. We can't compromise because you know what? I'm not sure that's a message that's going to resonate with people. We can't compromise because it might drive somebody away instead of pull them closer. Well, if I pull them closer, but I'm pulling them closer to something that's not God, who cares? You've got to know your Bible. And, and by the way, this is one of the main jobs of your elders. When we ask you to affirm elders every year, there's a lot of things to think about and process through and pray through. But one of the first foremost things is, do they know, love, and respect the Word of God? Because if they don't know, love, and respect the Word of God, then they have no business serving as an elder. Because that is the basis of everything. So what does the Bible say? The Bible will answer all kinds of questions about life. God knows what he's doing. You got issues, the Bible speaks to it, I promise you. You might not like what it says, but the Bible speaks to it. After, only after we've made the Bible our sole authority, right? We ask, what do our committed Christian community think? What is our committed Christian community think. And listen, this is one of the ways where we know you don't do this alone. And the people that you give the most authority to speak into your life, they cannot be your secular friends. Have secular friends. Oh my goodness, of course, have secular friends, right? Share the gospel with them, love them, just be in genuine relationship with them. But if you've got issues and you need to figure out what, is, what are you supposed to be doing and what's right and what's wrong and which way am I supposed to go, right? Because there's a way that seems right to you and in the end it leads to death. What's the way I'm supposed to go? What does God have for me? Listen, the person that you rely on in that moment is not somebody that rejects what God says. It's somebody that loves what God says. What does the Bible say? And then what do my 
what does my committed Christian community think? What does my committed Christian community think? Right? Not, not what do my coworkers think? Not what, what are my buddies that I go out drinking with? What do they think? But what about the small group of people that I love and rely on that are chasing the same God that I claim to be chasing? What do they think? Not the guy that'll tell you what you want to hear, but the people that'll tell you the hard truth, even if it hurts your feelings. What does my committed Christian community think? And now listen, some of you are going to be like, well, this should have been first. We'll fight about it later. After you focused on the Bible and you checked in with your committed Christian community, what do I believe the Holy Spirit is telling me? Listen, I'm not negating the Holy Spirit. I'm not negating the Holy Spirit by putting him third. But the Holy Spirit is never going to tell you something the Bible doesn't tell you. Ain't going to happen. Right? And here's the thing about you and your heart. See, I struggled with this throughout the week because I, I, was, I was talking to, to, to Malia as, we were, as I was prepping this sermon. I'm like, Malia, here's my third point, and it's terrible. Help me fix it. My third point was, right, one, what does the Bible say? What does my committed Christian community say? And then after those, what does your heart tell you? But your heart is dumb. My heart is dumb. Our hearts are wicked. Who can possibly know them? The human heart, just what Jeremiah says, the human heart is deceitful. Who can possibly understand it, right? I'm not asking you to follow your heart. I'm asking you to follow what's the Holy Spirit telling you, right? But, but you're corrupt. I'm corrupt. And I can make excuses for anything, right? Because there's a way that seems right to me. And it really does seem right to me. I'm not just making excuses, but inside me, this feels right. But here's what God says. And here's what my committed Christian community thinks. And after I spend time seriously praying about it, this is what the Holy Spirit is telling me. And how does that look, right? Do I have peace? Not if it's wrong, you won't. Not if you're being serious about these things. Do I have a nagging that it's a mistake? Like, what does my committed Christian community think? And then what is the Holy Spirit communicating to me? Like, listen, this is, you want to get back to this if you're not sure if you actually have God where he's supposed to be, right? Not that you don't love God. Listen, all kinds of people love God right? And they may really have surrendered to Jesus. I'm not questioning people's Christianity. I'm not questioning their faith, right? I'm questioning what their authority structure is, right? Because you can truly, sincerely love Jesus and truly and sincerely be confused. But there are all kinds of people who truly, sincerely love Jesus and are trusting the cross for their salvation, and then they're living a wonky life because they're not leaving this at the center. And if... It, if you're honest with yourself, right, if that's you, then what does the Bible say? You've got to get back to the Word, and you've got to be committed to what the Word says. What if God really meant it? I'm going to live that way. And, and, and I'm not alone. What does my committed Christian community think? And listen to me, if you're in this church and you feel like you don't have a committed Christian community, then you and I both need to repent of that. As a leader, I need to repent that you are here and call this place home, and we have done a poor job of getting you connected to a committed Christian community. You need to repent of the fact that you call this place home and you haven't dug in enough to find your place. Whatever it is, let's fix it together, 
right? I'm sorry. I want to make sure that you have that. I have that. You should have that too. And then three, after, when I'm really praying and I'm really asking God, I'm not telling God what I want to do, but I'm asking God what his will is. Am I trusting what the Holy Spirit puts in front of me? It's not complicated. It's not always easy, but it's not complicated. Pastor David's going to come up and fix it for us. Um, everything I said wrong, he's going he's to correct. For example, sitting here thinking like referencing Saul, like, oh, he would definitely know about Saul. Saul hadn't happened yet, right? So whatever else I made a mistake in, David's going to fix for us. So, All I have is the, this, this last thought um, of what I was going through my mind. As we leave here today, um, we have three choices, simple choices. One is we can ignore and dismiss everything that this guy said. All right, some of us might have checked out like 20 minutes ago. I don't like this. I'm done. I'm not listening. That's the dismiss and reject or, you know, dismiss it and, and, and just ignore. The second one is some of us, might, we might be tempted to reject it. Rejection is when we get, like, frustrated or angry about it. We want to defend it. Our, our position, right? Like, well, okay, I hear what you're saying, but, right? We want to reject and, and, and have that response. Um, I go back to what I said earlier. If you want to encounter God, the third option is use the word, we repent, right? Repentance is not, oh, I feel bad. Oh, I'm guilty or whatever. Repentance is I'm going the wrong direction. We got to change that. Right? That's, that was what was going through my head over there. It's like I was having all these thoughts go through my head. Uh, I just kind of, okay, let's just get to lunchtime. Then I can not have to listen to this anymore. You know? Because doesn't that happen? You come to church and you feel the Holy Spirit move. And well, let's just leave and let's get on with our day. And we dismiss. Or we defend. Or we respond the way God wants. And that's, Lord, got to do it different. So... We have a minute and a half left until our time is done. I'm going to ask, just quietly, what do you, what's your response to God this morning, where you're at? How do you need to respond to the Lord and the Holy Spirit? Take a moment and do that before we end and leave here today. Fathers, our time ends here, gathered this morning. My, my thoughts are centered on the, the words of David and simply David crying out, saying, Lord, cast me not away from you, but restore, renew. Lord, I pray that as we heard your word today, that we leave this place with that renewed passion and excitement for you. Um, that's your desire 
for us. And that we just be honest with ourselves. If, if, our, if we look at Scripture and we look at other Christians that we know and we see a faith that makes us stop and say, That's, I want that. There's got to be more. There's got to be more to, to God and, and what my life is experiencing. Um, let that be the thing that motivates us as your spirit takes that and, and just acknowledges, yes, there is so much more. And let us get full of a commitment of saying, Lord, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase after you. I'm going to cast me not away, Lord. I want to go deeper. I want to go closer. I want to be renewed. I want to be restored. I want you to search out anything that gets in the way. Lord, I understand it's a lifelong process, and I am committed to it. I repent to get on the path that you want me to be on, Lord. If that's the desire of our heart today, let us leave here with the excitement to know that you celebrate that with all of heaven to say, yes, that's what I want, is you to come towards me, to, to travel where I'm the authority and you get closer to me. So let us leave with that excitement this morning to know that you are rejoicing when we repent and we seek you as the authority. We give you praise in your name. Amen.